0: Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first generation PhD student. I have to be honest, I struggled a bit with this episode. A listener asked me to do an episode on going to grad school during the pandemic. And I wasn't sure how to approach it. How do I say how challenging it is? How do I communicate the gratitude wrapped in Zoom fatigue tied with a ribbon of strain? I wasn't sure. So I did what I always do when I'm not sure. I let it flow through me. I hope that you'll find these snippets of my experience going to grad school so far during the pandemic interesting, hopeful, and at the very least kind of entertaining. Here is today's show. It was the end of November. A cold Sunday morning. I was freezing in the two story Victorian house I was living in in Berkeley. My roommate, an international student studying environmental engineering, had left for the day to explore the bay with her boyfriend. As I scrolled through YouTube, getting my brain to wake up so I could get to my usual pages and pages of readings, I had a sudden thought What if I learned belly dancing on YouTube? By this time, we had been on lockdown for over eight months. I had been taking classes through Zoom for over three months. There were days when the only time I stepped out of my room was to grab food or to take out the trash. There were days when my room turned bright from early morning sunlight to the bluish shadows of sunset. And I had sat through it all, bent over my desk, trying to get to the end of an article. So, I could finally take a break. Something strange used to happen in that Victorian house in the late afternoon, right after five o'clock. I often joked with my roommate that maybe a plane flew over the house at that exact moment, disrupting the Wi Fi, if that's even how Wi Fi works. Whatever it was, it would turn the Wi Fi off for one, maybe two hours leaving me scrambling to reconnect. Once, I was in the middle of a group presentation when I was kicked off right as my turn to speak came up. Shit, I thought, staring at my classmate's misshapen, frozen face. I checked the Wi-Fi signal, and the words searching for network flashed in the corner of my computer screen. I get a text message from my roommate that he's resetting the modem. And that usually takes a few minutes. Sometimes it doesn't even work. So as a last resort, I grabbed my phone, turned on the hotspot and connected my computer to it. I got right back onto the Zoom call as one of my group members said, well, Pa stopped talking, so let's move on. I wish I could tell you that this was the only time that this happened. When I was an undergrad at Chico State, I took a rhetoric class where I was the only Asian person in the class. I didn't understand most of what we talked about in class, but I do remember the professor asking us, don't you ever just read something and stop and stare into nothingness and wonder why this is the first time you've read it? I don't remember moments like that from my undergrad years. Maybe I was too young, too inexperienced, too afraid to even think outside the box. To even question what was being fed to me. Maybe I didn't know how. But sometime in September, I remember reading something so profound I stopped and looked up. And then as if looking up wasn't enough, I stood up. I stood up and paced my room and wondered why this was the first time I had read something like this. You want to know what this reading was? It was Louis El writings on ideology and ideological state apparatuses. He writes, Reproduction of labor power requires not only reproduction of its skills, but also at the same time, a reproduction of its submission to the rules of the established order. I'll read that again. Reproduction of labor power requires not only reproduction of its skills, but also at the same time, a reproduction of its submission to the rules of the established order. So what he's saying is the state not only needs to reproduce the working class and their skills, but they also need to reproduce submission to the idea of being working class. Pretty much a reproduction of submission. In early October, I found myself laying on my yoga mat on the floor of my room, staring at the ceiling. It was just after 2am. The teacup on my desk had been empty for a few hours. The ginger and lemon concoction drained into my screaming body, begging it for relief. I swallowed, closing my eyes regretfully at the scratchiness in my throat. And gasping at the sharp pain in my shoulders. Like they were on fire, actually. I later learned that my anxiety sometimes manifested as a burning sensation in my shoulders. You see, the week I arrived in Berkeley, several fires started in California. And the state kept burning for a month and a half. After weeks of being locked inside that Victorian house, I just needed to get out to see people, and to be seen by people, to prove that there was still life out there. So I drove to Golden Gate Park, and I walked through the Conservatory of Flowers, and I sat at Ocean Beach and admired the crashing waves. And the next day, my throat screamed at me, grasping for help, I should say, grasping and crawling and scratching for help. And, of course, my first thought was, I have COVID. I spent the day scouring the internet for readings on symptoms and, of course, naturally sent my mind into a frenzy, which set my shoulders on fire, a fire so intense I couldn't sleep which was how I ended up on my yoga mat on the floor of my room at 2 a.m. in the morning. I took a COVID test the next day. It came back negative. And it took a whole week for the fire and my shoulders to die down to ashes. I hated Thursdays. I hated Thursday so much, sometimes I would have to do breathing exercises before the day started. I hated Thursday so much, I sometimes ate my way through the day. I had two hours of data analysis, the education statistics class all the students in my program had to take in the morning, then an hour of lunch, followed by two hours of data analysis lab. On one of these days, I sat in front of my computer, chin propped on my hand, notebook open, eyes strained, mind half numb from that morning. I'm not even sure what we went over or what we were going over. Maybe it was tests of significance. Maybe it was the idea of significance itself and what it really meant. Maybe it was the null hypothesis or p-values or standard deviations. It definitely wasn't multiple regression because by that time, by the time we went over that, my fingers had developed ninja-like zoom maneuvers. Whatever we were going over, I remember listening intently as the graduate student instructor re-explained what the professor had explained earlier that morning. After she was done, she asked the usual questions. Does that make sense? Do you understand? And I sighed. I didn't just sigh, I sighed. Like a deep breath groan as you release kind of a sigh. I'm sure all of you have done that kind of a sigh before. As the last bits of my breath left my chest, I looked down at the microphone and realized it was on. And everybody who had called into the lab had heard me. For a second, I panicked. Shit, I thought. Shit, shit, shit. Why did I do that? Why did I not make sure that the mic was off first? The silence that followed my hell-aloud sigh assured me that all had heard me. <laughs> so what do I do? Oops, I said. I just realized my mic was on. You really weren't supposed to hear that. And then I did the only thing I could do. I started laughing. And you know what? So did my classmates. And one of them said, Pa, I love you for that sigh. I pulled my car into one of the only available parking spots on the street. It was getting dark And I had just gotten home from a trip to Temecula to see a friend I hadn't seen in over 10 years. And I was hungry. So I picked up my phone and did a quick Google search for Mexican food. I love, love, love Mexican food. And I had been disappointed with Mexican food in Berkeley so far. But I was willing to try another place. The place I chose was a hole in the wall a little family-owned restaurant sandwiched between a cleaner and a Greek restaurant on Shattuck and Ashby. They didn't have a way of taking online orders. They didn't deliver through Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of the delivery services that are so popular now. So, tired as I was, I ordered for pickup the old-fashioned way. I called their number and talked to a person. Then I drove the five minutes it took to get over there, picked up the food, and salivated the whole way home. I'm not embarrassed to say that I inhaled that chicken enchilada, and it was the best enchilada I had had in a long time. I licked the bowl clean of the refried bean, and I don't even like beans I had found my go-to Mexican restaurant, and if you want to support this local, family-owned restaurant when you come to Berkeley, (laughs) it's called Taquiera La Familia, and I'll put it in the show notes. I kind of hate white men right now, I said out loud, to no one in particular. My body was alive with emotion, and I found myself pacing my empty room again. My critical theory professor, a Filipino man who seems to have written about everything that has to do with race and education, had assigned chapters from Franz Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth and Black Skin, White Masks. Fanon was a philosopher and psychoanalyst born on the Caribbean island of Martinique during French colonization. His work on the psychosocial impact of colonialism and the struggles of decolonization is often described as influential and central to the studies of racism. The passion in his writing moved me. I actually read it as anger. The idea of being forced to internalize inferiority infuriated me. The idea of being locked inside yourself. Wearing only a uniform given to you by your white colonizers pissed me off. In The Wretched of the Earth, Fanon says, because colonialism began with violence, only violence can end it. And I started thinking, because oppression began with violence, well, only violence ended. And if that's the fate of the oppressed, how will we live with it? When I first moved to Berkeley, I found my Ethiopian go to restaurant, a sweet place off of Telegraph Avenue between 65th and Alcatraz called Cafe Colucci. My favorite dish was the Minchit Wat, ground beef simmered in a spicy Berber garlic sauce. I'd eat it with my hands, ripping off a piece of injera, which is Ethiopian flatbread and using it to scoop up a good helping of the beef before shoving it all in my mouth. The sourness of the fermented flatbread mixed with the salty, spicy yumminess of the beef created an explosion of flavors in my mouth. After a day of class and studying, I needed some of that explosion in my mouth. So I placed an order for just the Minch at because ordering for delivery could get pretty expensive down here. When the delivery driver rang the doorbell, I couldn't get downstairs fast enough. I snatched the bag from him, said a quick thank you, and headed into the dining room. Plastic utensils and napkins came with the food, so I didn't bother even to go into the kitchen to grab anything. I took out the box, opened it, ready to stick my face into the beef, when I realized it wasn't my order. Another box sat in the paper bag, forgotten. I honestly thought it was the salad that was served with the Minchin Watts, so I had kind of ignored it. When I took the box out and opened it, I sighed with relief. There's my ground beef simmered in spicy Berber garlic sauce. But why is there an extra dish in the bag? I checked the receipt. It said my name on it. I realized then that the person prepping the to-go orders must have misplaced someone else's order. For a moment, I sat in the dining room debating whether I should call the restaurant and have the driver return to get this bag. Then I realized how silly that was. There's a pandemic. There's no way the restaurant's going to take this back, especially not after I've already opened it and breathed all over it. So I sat down, and I ripped off a piece of injera, and I did my thing. I was bad. I was real bad. But I made four meals out of that order. My natural hair is a bit frizzy. I get it from my dad. So it's rare for me to go to work or for me to go to public events without a good Application of the iron curler and some hairspray. And I did that for the first few weeks of the semester, showing up in Zoom meetings with my hair all wavy and my makeup applied, albeit sometimes a bit frantically as I struggled to exercise, eat breakfast, and get ready for class. Along with my hair, I was consistent with my face wash, moisturizer, and makeup. And no matter what, I made sure I had lipstick on either the avant garde pop or Bold Pop, (laughs) my two favorite colors. I liked how the maroon and magenta colors defined my lips, brought life to a somewhat washed-out face. Not because I have a washed-out face, but because Zoom has a washed-out way displaying any kind of face. The lipstick made me me in a sea of shadowy faces, as strange as that may sound. Eventually, exhaustion set in, Mental exhaustion, Zoom fatigue, wildfire fatigue, quarantine fatigue, all the fatigues you can think of. And I stopped doing my hair. I let the frizziness flow free. Heck, I didn't even brush my hair for a while. But I kept on putting lipstick. Once, during stats, my professor finished explaining a concept and asked, Does that make sense? Do you understand? Then she looked at the cameras that were actually turned on and said, Some of you look very confused. There were a few seconds of silence, or maybe it was just the internet lag, I don't know anymore, at that point. I don't know what got into me, but I said, Oh, I'm not confused. This is my thinking face. My classmates, those who had their cameras on, laughed, the sound muted by their muted mics. Sometime in October, I stopped turning on my camera in that class. I think it was around the same time I stopped doing my hair and putting on most of my makeup. I still participated using the thumbs up, thumbs down feature. I still unmuted and spoke but I never turned my camera back on for that class. I know that it would have helped the professor read the class better if I had my camera on, but to be honest, I was just trying to survive. In the end, only three students out of the 15 students kept their cameras on. My mom said not to go home for Thanksgiving. COVID cases were increasing, getting too close to home. Too many people we knew were getting sick. Death was so close. Too close for comfort. Stay where you are, she said. So I did. When I told my study group this the Friday before Thanksgiving, one of them said they wanted to bring me some Thanksgiving food. I had been in class with this peer for over three months, but I had never seen her in person. When she and her partner came to my place, we kind of stood there on the sidewalk looking at each other for a second. I remember saying, gosh, I wish I could give you a hug. We both had masks on, so we agreed to a quick hug. I invited her and her partner to sit in my backyard for a few minutes to chat. And what was most fascinating about the whole experience was my mind trying to reconcile the her from Zoom with the her sitting in front of me. There was a mix of, I know who this person is, excitement, and who is this person? Confusion. My mom got sick the first week of December, so I went home. I had gone home to vote at the end of October, but this time was different. This time, as I sat in her room on the fifth floor of Inlow Hospital, trying to read a book that I needed for my final paper. I felt the outsiderness of a visitor instead of the comfort of a returner. As I woke up each day in my parents' house to write, as I ran my old running route in the neighborhood, as I drove down the Esplanade, one of the most beautiful streets in Chico, as I looked up at the night sky and watched the stars blink, I felt like myself but not at the same time. After my mom came home from the hospital, I returned to the bay, to my final paper and my Victorian house, which I'm happy to say I moved out of and am now living in a newer and um, better place. When I saw the ocean and the familiar buildings of Hercules and Richmond and El Cerrito, and I saw the San Francisco skyline and the exits for University Avenue and Ashby Avenue, I knew in my heart why I felt like myself and not at the same time. That evening, I texted my friends this. I don't think I'm ever coming back to Chico. There's nothing left for me there. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review would go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. That's k-o-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. Every dollar helps. Follow me on Instagram at bypavu and the podcast at onbecomingeducated. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to www.onbecomingeducated.com.